Have we sang your favorite Christmas song yet? Well, we will stay as long as we need to until everybody's favorite Christmas song can be sung. If you have a Bible, if you'll open it up or turn it on, we're going to be in James chapter 1 today. James chapter 1. Uh, have you ever wondered why Christians give gifts on Christmas? What's the story behind the gift giving on Christmas? Well, uh, it appears that giving gifts at Christmas became a part of the Christian tradition really around the fourth century, uh, so quite a while after the birth of Christ, and the gifts were given to remember how the wise men gave gifts to the young Jesus. And the wise men were giving gifts to the Jesus, uh, giving gifts to Jesus as a tribute to the king. And so around the fourth century, uh, it appeared to happen at a, at a feast, at a celebration. They began giving gifts to one another. And around this time in history, there was a bishop in Turkey by the name of Nicholas. And Nicholas began giving gifts to those who were in need. And in particular, Nicholas tried to use his wealth to help children escape poverty. In fact, there's one story where he uh, gave in order to try to help three young girls who were involved with, uh, they were being trafficked, and so he was trying to keep them out of that lifestyle. And so later, as you fast forward to the 17th century, uh, Nicholas' generosity became an inspiration for people to begin giving gifts at Christmas time, particularly in the Netherlands. That became a, a large uh, tradition, and then it began spreading throughout uh, Europe. And there were some colonists in New Amsterdam, which is modern-day New York, uh, who also began giving gifts at Christmas. And so I, I was telling my wife Stacy the other day that Christmas gifts, food, and decor now are a $800 billion industry in the United States alone. She said, wow, that's a lot. I said, I know, that makes that Batman Lego set that I asked for seem so cheap, doesn't it? And she said, no. Uh, but, but as we exchange gifts, and probably most of us will have some type of gift exchange over the next couple of days, uh, number one, it is a recognition that all of the earthly belongings that we have are ultimately gifts from God. And number two, it's a symbolic way for us to remember the gifts of the Magi and the gift that is Christ. So the Bible teaches that the greatest gifts a person receives cannot be purchased. That the greatest gifts that a person can receive, there's no coupons at Bath and Body Works, there's no flash deals, because the greatest gifts that we can receive are the heavenly gifts. So look with me at, the, at this verse in James chapter 1 and verse 17. Most of my sermon today is going to center around just this one verse, James chapter 1 and verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, remember the context of our verse today. We've been leading up to this over the last few weeks. So the context is there is a person who is going through a difficult time. James uses the word trials. 
This individual is going through challenges, trials. Perhaps you can relate because as you look at your life, there's trials, there's difficulty right now. In the midst of the trial, there is a temptation. And this temptation is to blame God. We see this play out in in the verses before this. So stage one of the blame game is the accusation. In the trial, as you go through the difficult time, there is this temptation to begin accusing God, blaming God. God, you're neglecting me. God, you've abandoned me. God, you're abusing me. And so you start playing the blame game. Then the second stage of the blame game involves pushing away or running away from the faith. We start trying to solve our problems with temporary gifts. We start focusing on things that don't really last and perhaps even numbing our pain or trying to distract ourselves through adrenaline rushes from the realities of our life. So that context is read in verses 13 through 15 of James chapter 1, where the Bible says, no one understanding a trial should say, I am being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So what James describes here is a 180 opposite of the birth of Christ. Look at that passage again. Look there in in verse 15. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. This is exactly the opposite of the gospel. Exactly the opposite of the birth of Christ. Through Christ we have life. As Christ is fully grown, he ultimately gives his life and then overcomes death so that we might have eternal life and forgiveness in him. So then the scripture reminds us that the greatest gifts in life come from above. And so look at verse 17 again. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from, have you ever put this imagery around God? Coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And so we see in this passage that God gives us good gifts, that everything that is truly good in this world comes from God. And as we think about our God, He is altogether pure and holy. Our Father who art in heaven, say it with me, hallowed be thy name. The beginning of the Lord's Prayer begins with this incredible contrast between the holiness and power of God, the God whose name is declared holy. He is set apart. He is completely pure. There is no corruption within him, and yet that same God desires to be our Father. And the Bible says here that my holy, set-apart God is the Father of lights who gives good gifts and perfect gifts. Now this word perfect is an interesting word because we we realize that our English manuscript, our English Bible is translated from Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic in some sections. And the word teleos is the Greek word here that's used for perfect. It has to do 
with maturity or growth. So when we think of the word perfect, we're like, oh man, that was perfect pancakes. That sermon was a perfect length. No one's ever said that. But anyway, you, you say something like, like perfect, you throw that word out. But this word perfect has to do with maturity and growth and completion. And so as we think about it as the gifts of God, and we put it within the context, we see that even as we go through the trials and the difficulties, the challenges of life, that our Father of lights is giving good and perfect gifts, and He is maturing us. Evil has brought much hardship into this world, but the goodness and power of God ensure that even in the hardship, God is maturing us. He is completing the process. So Bethlehem's innocent baby reminds us of God's goodness, the Father of lights who gave His Son, and the Word became flesh. And Calvary's suffering Savior reminds us of sin's reality. The flesh was broken for our sins. And then as we look forward to Jesus' second coming, it reminds us of God's sovereignty, that He will redeem all things to the glory of His name that he is at work always in all things. So take a moment and let this idea sink in, that God gives his children good and perfect gifts. The Father of lights. Now that's an interesting name for God. Now this may surprise you a little bit. Did you know that James and Jesus shared two fathers. So James was very likely the son of Mary and Joseph. Theologically, we would see him as the half-brother of Jesus because Jesus being born of Mary but his father being conceived of the Holy Spirit and then James being a uh, child, a natural child of Mary and Joseph. James apparently became a believer in Jesus after the resurrection. And so we see that James and Jesus likely grew up together, that Joseph was in their life. Now, have you ever thought about, when we looked at Joseph last week in our sermon, but have you ever thought about the life of Jesus, how Joseph's there at the beginning and Joseph's there whenever he's 12, but then Joseph just disappears from the story, right? More than likely, as Jesus was becoming a young man, Joseph died. And many of us can relate to James and Jesus because at some point in our life, we've lost our earthly father. My father died in February of 2022. So this is the second Christmas that he hasn't been here, and I miss him. Uh, this week, we as a church were saddened whenever we heard about the death of Paul Rack. Uh, Paul Rack was our children's minister here at the church from 2006 to 2011. And uh, he was an extended father to hundreds of children, not just in our church, but in communities where he served as well. In fact, I know, like, like Peyton, you were baptized by, by Paul Rack. I think all three of the Leonard kids were baptized by, by Paul Rack. And uh, 
about a year into his ministry, he had a horrible car accident, and it really rocked the church. It was before I got here. Uh, I know he had multiple surgeries, and so I met him as he was trying to recover from that, and I know even for a long period of time, he, he like carried machinery with him in order to try to keep himself alive. One of the first things that uh, I attended as pastor of this church was a long surgery where we were praying because we didn't know if Paul Rack would survive that. But one of the things that impressed me about him is that it never really slowed him down. He had a passion for children, and he just went after it. In fact, I have this memory on this stage at BBS where he's rolling across the stage in a six-foot balloon uh, to 150 children screaming, as he, was, as he was rolling across the stage. And so throughout the course of this week, I felt the grief of his loss, and I know that a lot of people within our congregation have felt that loss as well. Uh, but as Christians, we have a heavenly Father. We have a Father of lights. And even if you didn't have the best earthly father, or if your earthly father has already graduated to heaven, you always have the Father of lights. And God can father you. And the Father of lights continually and eternally gives his children good and perfect gifts. Even when night arrives and the circumstances grow cold, the Father of lights continues to give. He doesn't drop in and out of your life. He doesn't abandon you. His gifts are not limited to one day a year. The Father of lights is always giving. And so the Scriptures say, every good and perfect gift is from above. Let that sink in, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. In this world, there are a lot of shifting shadows. And some of these shadows are innocent enough. There'll be people that enter your life, and you'll walk together for a season. You'll share some, share some laughs, maybe a meal. But then, for whatever reason, circumstances draw you apart. Things change. Some shadows are shifty. They enter your life, and you think they're great, but then they change on you. Anybody had anybody ever had that happen to you? Someone comes into your life, and you think, man, this is a great person, and then they prove not to be. And it's easy in life to become cynical. It's easy to lose your trust because people, people lie. They manipulate. They abuse, use, and accuse. And everyone in this room has experienced that, but not my Father of lights. My Heavenly Father is altogether perfect and pure, and worship exists to reflect His light. Worship is a word reserved for the Father of lights because He is set apart, and so we worship Him. It reflects His light when we worship Him. I think of Revelation chapter 21 
when the Bible gives us a glimpse of what it's like to arrive at my father's house. And the Bible says, I did not see a temple in it because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its lights and the kings of earth will bring glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it the father of lights gives good and perfect gifts and what's more is that he desires for you and for me to be his children and so you look at this next verse in verse 18 where the bible says by his own choice he gave us birth by the word of truth. It wasn't something that he had to do. It wasn't something that he was manipulated to do. But by his own choice, he sent his son, motivated by love, and through his son, he gives us birth by the word of truth. And so we saw in those earlier verses how there's another kind of birth, this birth that takes place whenever we yield to temptation, and temptation conceives, and then ultimately sin is born and grows up to lead to death. But here in verse 18, we see that by his own choice, he gives us a new kind of birth by the word of truth so that we can be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Christ was born so that you may be born. The greatest gift of Christmas is the life that we have through the word of truth. And so if you've heard anything that I've said today, I I hope that you catch this, that the Father of lights, that God desires for you to be born spiritually, to be born again, to have your soul, your spirit come alive. I was born on March 2nd, 1971. By the way, I know someone's like, he's old. Hopefully someone said, but he doesn't look that old. I appreciate it whenever you all say that, yeah. So, March 2nd, 1971, which, by the way, March 2nd is Texas Independence Day, okay? Born on Texas Independence Day. I was born in Peoria, Illinois, so a lot of people hold that against me because I wasn't born in Texas, but I controlled the part that I could control, okay? So I was born on March 2nd on Texas Independence Day. Uh, Like Christ, I was born far away from home. And I was laid in a manger at Methodist Hospital. A little crib. That's where the comparisons end. Because shortly thereafter, my life took a turn. I became a toddler. And suddenly, I was a wretched little sinner in need of a Savior. If you don't believe me, just ask my mom. If anyone ever needed salvation, it was me. So I was born physically, but then I was born spiritually on a cold December night in 1977. On that night, I knelt beside my bed and I trusted Christ as my Savior. And I was born of truth, born of the Spirit. Spiritual birth is a testimony to the love of the Father of lights. And it is the greatest gift that He gives His children. 
And so I ask you this question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you were born spiritually? Would you guys be so kind as to bow your heads as we have a time of reflection and prayer? In a few moments, we're going to invite those that profess Christ as Lord and Savior to take of the Lord's Supper. But I would also like to ask you to have a serious question or ask, ask you to ask yourself a serious question. Has there ever been a time in my life when I was born spiritually? Have I ever had that moment? Now, I'm not asking you if you grew up in a Christian home or if your granddaddy was a preacher in East Texas or any of that stuff. I'm asking you about yourself. Has there ever been a time where you yourself were born again spiritually? Where you trusted in Christ? And if there hasn't been that time in your life, why not make it right now? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But in the conversation of your heart, I would invite you to give your heart to Christ. You say, Lash, I don't know exactly what to say. I don't know what to do. Just in the sincerity of your soul, confess your sins before the Lord. You might say something like, Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. I, I admit my sins before you. And I ask forgiveness for them. And now open your heart to the Father. Ask God to save you. Ask God to forgive you. Ask the Lord to change you so that you can be born spiritually. Now, would you commit your life to following Him as Lord and Savior? If today's been that moment of new birth in your life, let me encourage you to tell somebody about it. Come tell me. I'll be here at the front. I'll be af here after the service. I'll be here during this next song. Find somebody in your life that you know that is a Christian and tell them at church today, I prayed with the, the pastor. I gave my life to Christ. We want to encourage you. We do want to talk to you about next steps and what that looks like as a Christian. But if you've received Christ, then you have received the good and perfect gifts of our Father. As our heads are still bowed, we're going to transition in our service. And as believers, in a few moments we're going to be taking of the Lord's Supper. But I want to give you an opportunity to pray. If you're a journaler, you might write down some thoughts. Perhaps you just need to take that deep breath and prepare yourself for the taking of the Lord's Supper. So the band's going to lead us in this Christmas carol, and you can continue to pray. You can write out thoughts. You can pray with other people. Maybe your family's in town. You want to pray together. If you want to stand and sing with the band, you can. And after we finish this Christmas carol, we'll take the Lord's Supper together.